on the Talkback Show, on the radio, or whatever audiovisual device you choose to use. Welcome to the GBC Podcast, where we talk about the Packers in our hometown of Green Bay. This is episode 55, created on October 2nd, 2023. I'm John. I'm in Appleton, Wisconsin. Along with me, Jeff in Minnesota and Neil on the East Coast. Say hello, gentlemen, and tell us what you're drinking. It is a lovely fall day today. It is winemaking season. I am drinking the last of my 2020 vintage, but also importantly, there's going to be a lot of whining in this show today. (laughs) Well, I'm going to stay with that theme. So I bought this specifically for this show. I've got from Un Ane Brewery, airing of grievances. (laughs) Okay, it's a 2022 Belgian-inspired Imperial Stout, but airing of grievances. I didn't even think of going with a theme. I just grabbed the uh, Eagle Brewery Banana Bread beer. So I'm actually having a beer tonight. Banana bread tastes like shit, so I think you got the right theme as well, John. It tastes just fine, Neil. All right, you can find us on YouTube and Twitter at Green Bay Chat and Facebook at the GBC Podcast, Green Bay Chat. And just the audio is available on Spotify by searching for Green Bay Chat. Well, what are our topics? Yes, we are going to be revisiting that Thursday night football matchup that was on Amazon Prime, a sea of Honolulu blue in Lambeau Field, if you will. We'll take a look around the league in week four and what some other teams have been up to, if anything good. Uh, And then, of course, there is week five right around the corner. We've got Monday night football and Vegas, baby. (laughs) But as for right now, I got to tell you guys, I have been so discombobulated over the last few days because of this schedule. The quick turnaround time that four days between games messed me up. Saturday night, someone asked me about announcing one of the high school football games that I did. I couldn't remember what I did the night before because that game had me all messed up. I was like, oh, no, no, we're a week off. It was a week ago that it was homecoming. Yeah, I just I've been thrown off by this. And now the next game isn't until Monday. I just can't imagine what the players are going through. Hopefully they can get their heads on straight because it was not a good game on Thursday night, Neil, was it? 206 to 1 before (laughs) we started a drive that actually did something. 284 yards to 21 in the first half, Detroit versus Green Bay. I think that's all you need to say as a starting point. We're just pacing ourselves. Yeah, we got to stop pacing ourselves as far as the offense is concerned. I think one of the most disconcerting parts of that game is you look at the first drive Detroit had, and we were all ecstatic. We got that turnover. We got the ball in fabulous territory. Detroit 16-yard line for our first drive. This was a perfect start for that game against Detroit after having not beaten them for several games in a row, we now had that hot starting point. And what did we do? Three and out, no yards on three plays incompletion sack for minus nine. We compensated with that with a nine yard pass, but fundamentally zero yards on offense, the first drive. And that was actually better than our second drive on offense. where We went negative 11, Went with another three and out, interception, three and out, before finally getting 16 yards on our last drive of the first half. So was this a case where young team, nervous, short week, not prepared, the the coach didn't prepare them, or they just collectively all had their heads up their ass? I stated in my season preview that I thought that we were going to have a couple games where we were under the primetime lights, where the moment caught up with the players. And I think it is absolutely clear that the moment caught up with the players in this week. I think that is the best explanation for how we shit the bed so badly in this game. Not getting too far ahead. I know like at the end, it was just like, was there anything good that came out of this? After the game, 
you texted and, and you know, Neil, you had a, a couple things, but I mean, just overall, it was just so weird. And well, plus, plus, which was super, super, super unusual, all the damn blue in the crowd, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just that that's not going to help any home team when what it seemed like half the freaking stands were the the visitors. Yeah, that's but that right. but but that was at the end of the game. And I've been to plenty of road games as a visiting fan. And when you win on the road, the fans all congregate down below. There were far more Packers fans than there were Lions fans in that stadium. We cannot put this game on the Lions fans or the Packers fans who sold the Lions fans. And I'll get more on that later. But fundamentally, I've got to put this game first and foremost on the coaching staff. Fundamentally, we have been playing an aggressive game plan on offense all year. That aggressive game plan bit us in the ass. We've started out slow. We've been behind on second down. We've been behind on third down. And this is the game where that really got us. We were too far behind by the time that it was a chance that we were going to catch up. Live by the sword, die by the sword. We died by the sword in the first half there. And that put us too far behind to do anything. Who would have thought that they couldn't run even just the most rudimentary of plays? And then when they would throw in a little trickeration, which just made things worse. They could not, for whatever reason, they just couldn't execute the most simple play or not the most simple play. And unfortunately, some injuries play into that. And then, oh, by the way, the Lions defensive front, they're pretty good. They are really good, but you've got to play a game plan that is not going to go right into where their strengths are. And Having your first six plays on offense all be passing plays is not how we're going to win that game. No, and that run the damn ball, how many times have we been saying that? So we're excited, right? Aaron Jones, he's back from injury. Well, shit, how many times did we see Aaron Jones, Neil? He had 20 plays on the field. He had five touches on running the ball, and he had one touch receiving. John, do you think that's going to get the job done? (laughs) Well, I think part of that, though, too, Jeff, is is they had to have been easing him back into the game as well. I feel like they him only getting the 20 plays was by design, but you're right. It's just getting into a rhythm that this team wasn't able to do. But to answer your question, even from the beginning, you know, it was just in all of the above. Neil's right. Coaching, preparation, short week, young team. I'm not going to throw the blame on the crowd either. You know, you play in front of a crowd or you don't play in front of a crowd. And, and there's only been one season that we know of where we didn't play in front of crowds, right? Uh, the crowds, the crowd is going to be there. The crowd is the crowd. I don't think you worry about that too much. You could just tell that the players themselves were not ready. The, the, just the precision wasn't there. The enthusiasm wasn't there. The motivation wasn't there. It just seemed like a lot of standing around, uh, guys getting pushed around, like you said, on the offensive line, not doing the pushing, just a little bit of everything. And then every once in a while, we get a spectacular play. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the Jaden Reed catch, the the obviously the Watson touchdown, you know, we get a play here and there that's like, OK, spark, there's some life. Let's go. But just there was not enough good to outweigh what went wrong on Thursday night. To circle back, you know, what Neil had said and, and you know, this this provided some, I guess, you know, a positive from the outcome. They didn't quit. The team did not quit. And that's coaching. But that you've got this collection of really, really good players. I mean, there were some games yesterday that it was just, it was bad. I mean, I never got that sense at this game of just like, almost like a hopelessness, like, holy God, this is just, this is futile. 
that wasn't the case. You know, there were glimmers of hope. Jeff, you should look back at our text message thread because there was a lot of futile thoughts in that second quarter. <laughs> there, yes, there were. Of course there were, right? I mean, in, in the in the heat of the game, of course. By the time that third quarter, I mean, they, they are frisky in the third quarter. I don't know if you had to kind of take us through the whole first half or we just like, just want to say enough is enough and at least dwell on some of the positive in the third quarter. Let's go with a couple of key statistics as far as the first half is concerned in the game. Again, I already said it was 206 yards to one when we were down 24 to three, <laughs> but let's look at that rushing because overall we had 43 plays in which the ball was dependent on Jordan Love 10 plays in which the ball was dependent on our running backs, 10 plays for our running backs and our running backs overall in the entire game, 10 rushes for 29 yards, 2.9 yards per attempt average. We had seven rushing yards in the first quarter and zero rushing yards in that second quarter. And it didn't get obviously with those numbers a whole lot better in the second half. But when those are your numbers, it's going to be very difficult to have a balanced game plan. And I think this goes right back to what I was saying, that this is a coaching issue as far as how you set up your game plan. And going back to John's point, 20 plays for Aaron Jones. Well, come up with 20 good plays for Aaron Jones, where either he's doing something or is serving as a decoy. I'm perfectly fine with saying, yes, we have to ease him back. Christian Watson also only had 20 plays in the game, but actually have some plays that are planned where Aaron Jones is going to take advantage of his incredible abilities. So again, 27-3, the score at halftime. And, and looking at the score at halftime, just there was no way anybody in that stadium was feeling like there was going to be a comeback like there was just four days earlier against the Saints. And, and you got to remember during the Saints game, nobody expected the comeback either. But to get it, to get that fourth quarter was great. But I think the team did come alive in the third quarter. I wish they could you know, come alive a lot faster than after 30 minutes of regulation. But they did come alive in that third quarter. And, and the second half, as a whole, really wasn't terrible. The third quarter was actually good. I mean, let's yeah. go Let's go in that direction. We got the ball. We had an 86-yard drive for a touchdown to start that second half. That is the way that you want to start, ideally, the game. But let's accept the second half within that component. You could argue why we had to go 86 yards. But <laughs> in the third quarter, the Packers had eight first downs to one for Detroit. We essentially reversed the trend of the first half in that third quarter. In the third quarter, the Packers had 139 yards to 17 yards for Detroit. And in the third quarter, Detroit also had six penalties for 55 yards. 123 passing yards for Jordan Love, 7 of 13, and a touchdown. That was actually a really good third quarter. And, oh, by the way, once we scored that touchdown, we kept the foot on the pedal and got that beautiful two-point conversion as well. The two-point conversion was great with the momentum. And certainly from a math and statistical standpoint, it made sense. And now you're looking at that score went from 27-3 to 27-11. It's like, oh, we're down 16. Maybe we do have shades of last week or shades of, of an opportunity. Now you're watching the clock again and you're like, can we get two more scores in with the two point conversions? But they're definitely a major difference in the feel of that third quarter. Right. And we score the touchdown with the two point conversion. Detroit immediately gets a three and out. Now, unfortunately we had a three and out on the next drive, but we stopped Detroit for a second drive in a row in that second half. They only got 16 yards. And then we followed that up with a touchdown drive at the end of the third quarter that spilled into the fourth quarter that now brought us to 17-27. It's now just a 10-point game. We almost got the two-point conversion. I mean, I, I thought it was happening, right? I mean, it was just, he couldn't get around the corner. I think 
It was ultimately a, a great uh, defensive play. Lucky, almost defensive play. I mean, he kind of, you know, grabbed around the shoulder pads and hauled him down. I mean, it looked like it was it was going to happen, but so now it's it's still it's a two score game. But like you said, all the momentum seems to be with us. The fans are into it. You know, Green Bay fans are into it. And just, there, there were a lot more Packers fans. Than I know. I, I know just, that. I'm just tired of this talking point that the Lions fans took over the stadium. <laughs> they took over at the end, like any good road fans do. Yes. Road fans will take over a stadium at the end. I hope to be doing that in Denver in three weeks. But the fact that during the game there was still you could hear "Let's go Lions" chant. Let's put it this way: there, there was enough of a critical mass there, or if you could hear them on the broadcast. So fourth quarter. But now things start to unravel a wee bit, wouldn't you say? Fundamentally, our defense was gassed. I'll go into some of the statistics about why so many key players on our defense is gassed. But we got to t- within 10 points. And the, the problem is Detroit went on a 14-play, 75-yard drive in the end that at one point looked like we were going to stop it. They got to a fourth and three at the Green Bay 12. They were going for a field goal. And so this looks like a perfect situation. We did not – it was a bend-but-not-break situation, which I – generally hate at some level but (laughs) fundamentally we bent but did not break we kept them they were going to kick the field goal it was going to be a 13 point game well they did kick the field goal oh yeah they're going into that commercial break i was like oh my gosh we can win this game by one we're down 13 let's get going let's get two scores here and during that commercial break, it just all changed. <laughs> they came back with the on further with review, Walker. Yeah, that was unexpected. You rarely see points come off the board. Yeah, it was a done deal. The field goal was kicked. Everybody was was all set. And then we had Mr. Walker's infraction. I think with that too, you said already, Neil, the defense was gasped there in that second half. And after that, it's like a great sigh of relief for the defense. We we were walking off the field with a field goal. And now, oh, shit, we got to walk back on and play hard again. I don't think they were ready to come back onto the field there, and it definitely showed the way Detroit quickly got into the end zone. Yeah, that has to be just absolute. I mean, I was demoralized, right? (laughs) I mean, I can't even imagine what that's like as a player to, like, think that the field goal's done, you're walking off the field, and, oh, shit, we've got to go on a goal line stand now. But we did actually hold them still, right? They ran for three yards. We pushed them back four yards. They ran for six, but they had to go for it on a fourth and one to score that touchdown that made it a three-score game. They still had to go and make some plays. We still made some plays in order to give ourselves a chance, and I think that it was a 14-play drive, and at play 14, that's where that one yard is going to be essentially unstoppable. It was that play, too. I mean, if if they hadn't already put a stamp on it, it was that play that definitely showed that Detroit was the better team. And they've been the better team a few times now. And like we said, I even said during the season preview, I didn't think that this was going to be a, a Packer win. And it's just because of that. We just have not been able to show that we can play against, believe it or not, the Detroit Lions. And they are playing good football. And they really have been bringing their best for Green Bay. So we can't come out with a half-assed performance in the first half like we did. Or an unprepared Georgia. performance or a young team performance because unfortunately Detroit sort of has gone through those growing pains and certainly Dan Campbell had these guys whipped up they wanted more if you want to talk about how a team builds and how a team grows under a system and things like that definitely they're they're a couple of years ahead of us right now because of having Jared Goff at quarterback having you know Campbell as their coach having a defense that's really starting to gel 
they're playing really well. We're at square one effectively still, even though our, our quarterback is older. This is really his effective, his first season on the field, right? And we've got a young team around him. So, yeah, we are building and we are a step behind them. Just like I said, we are a step behind probably the Atlanta Falcons as well. And we'll find ourselves a step behind some other teams. But as the season goes on, this team has to be able to show that they can grow. I really feel like they recessed in this game. This was this was a paltry performance compared to the first three matchups. Well, and this is where you've got, although this goes back to the defense, I'm not going to say, but, you know, we're going to fire Joe Barry. Okay, I'm not, but. But you can. You probably well, should. Well, <laughs> I mean, the defense should not be playing like the first step. So Quay Walker, 19 tackles, 10 solo, one tackle for loss. The guy was all over the field. Yes, he had that gigantic mental blunder, okay, which was brought up because, yes, he got kicked out of two games last year for being an idiot, not thinking or whatever you want to call it. So he's, he's tried to rehabilitate himself or whatever you want to call it so that – and then he goes and does this. The fact of the matter is, is that he's not Blake Martinez-like, as you say, Neil. You know, he's making stops, not 10 yards down the field, right? He's making really good plays, but you can't have all these other things happening if you expect to win or be very consistent. There's just that level of consistency is not there. I want to go back to that penalty, though, and Quay Walker in that I think that's a coaching issue more than anything else. The coaches had to have the situational awareness to tell the players, listen, let's just play in case they go for a fake field goal. This is a situation where a field goal is a victory. We cannot do anything such that they get anything more than a field goal from that drive. And the coaches need to needed to instill that that was the goal. It was to just make sure that they don't get any more than three points. And, you know, yes, there's a leadership issue. I'm wearing the Reggie White jersey because I think there is a vacuum in leadership for this Packers team. But at the same token, this is where when you've got a young team, the coaching staff plays a critical role and the coaching staff failed at that specific moment. Now, going on to the next drive, right? So we're down 17 points. I think that the next drive really showed that this team was still fighting. We drove 69 yards, nice, uh, in eight plays. And then that ended up with the Jordan Love interception. But they were going for it. And I honestly, that was the interception where we're not going to win the game anyway. It was not a good interception by any stretch of the imagination. But I liked that we kept that fight up, even though it was essentially a hopeless situation down 17 in the fourth quarter. That was, we'll call that interception a Farvian interception, perhaps, right? I would I would prefer Farvian interceptions to Rogers sacks or Rogers just running the ball out of bounds and fucking around and doing nothing. Let's actually try to do something. I admired that part about Jordan Love in the game. Definitely an aggressive move on his part. So this was sort of the Jekyll and Hyde of the whole night, though, because oftentimes Love held on to the ball too long very rogers like you know he was looking for his progression but the offensive line wasn't holding up and so again I, this you know i would say more this is inexperience on on love's part or the play calling wasn't such where you know he's being told okay if you make one or two reads and it's not there throw that damn thing away don't sit back there and get hit, get sacked, make your offensive line work harder. I was looking for something like that, but that didn't really happen until they had really good success or more success in the third quarter. And then again, sort of regressed in the fourth quarter then. 
did love even have time to decide to throw the ball away though i mean it was brutal it was absolutely brutal as far as the line you know love was sacked five times in the game and hit 11 times overall there was a lot of the game where we did not have an outlet pass that was going to give him the chance as a check down. And I think that's really part of the play calling element of the game that was most frustrating is that essentially it was home run or bust. And when you've got this very good defensive line and this very inexperienced offensive line that was really struggling, you've got to be doing something different to give your quarterback a chance. And I don't think we gave our quarterback the chance that we needed to in the first half. One additional point on that. One thing that I'm still not seeing either from the play calls or the players themselves is we drafted two tight ends high in the draft this year. Okay. They're inexperienced. So one gets concussed. So Musgrave goes out with a concussion. So Tucker Craft is in there. But why can't we, or what I'm looking for is run that tight end, you know, have them block, whatever, just get in somebody's way, go six yards down the field and turn around. Why is that not happening? Because that's sort of your safety valve. If Love can get comfortable with with the tight ends and, and get something like that, because then those are positive yards down the field. I mean, it's not not throwing out these side flare passes to the running backs. And they, if the blocking's out there, they get killed, which is what happened to Aaron Jones a couple times. I'd like to see things like that, sort of the evolution of the play calling change a little bit to recognize things like that. And just a shout out to Josiah DeGuaro, who had one of his best games actually yeah. as a Green Bay Packer. He had a really important series of plays as far as advancing and getting first downs. But I think that's a lead into the element of how we did not evolve in our game plan. Looking at the numbers of snaps for our players, we had 57 offensive plays as accumulated by Pro Football Ball Reference. We had 57 snaps by Josh Myers, Rashid Walker, Royce Newman, John Runyon, and Zach Tom. 57 by those, zero by any other offensive lineman. If you're having problems running the ball, you've got to be doing something different. Do a six offensive lineman. When we saw that the interior of our line and Rashid Walker were so ineffective, let's go and try somebody else. Let's give somebody a rest. Let's do something. Nyman, uh, Ryan, whatever. We've got to try something different. And we did the exact same thing throughout the game. Looking at our tight ends, we had 36 snaps for DeGuara, a handful for all of the other players. Again, on these 57 counted plays, we had 69 total snaps as far as our tight ends are concerned. At most, we had 12 snaps in which we had two tight ends. We had zero snaps that were three tight ends. We didn't do those things that would allow us potentially the opportunity to either move the ball with running or alternatively to do the things Jeff mentioned, which is, you know, some short passes to our tight ends. You've got to have the players on the field that are going to give you the ability to do that. The snap counts tell us our offensive game plan did not give us the opportunity to adjust to what Detroit was doing and beating us with. Was that kind of a function of that the hope was that Jordan Love was going to sort of figure this out or that he was going to take off and run? I mean, these are rhetorical, obviously, at this point. But I mean, so I wonder why that wasn't formulated. Say, oh, shit, we're getting our ass handed to us. So here's a bunch of other stuff we can do. And as as Matt LaFleur said in post-game now, you know, doing the same thing is silly or, you know, some combination thereof. Basically, just you keep banging your head against the wall. It's not going to change anything. But why intra-game did, was that not happening? There's been a lot of anti-Joe Barry vitriol 
during and after this game. And the fact of the matter is, I think Adam Stenovich really deserves a lot more criticism, a lot more uh, attention to what he is or what he is not doing because LaFleur is essentially serving as a cover for our offensive coordinator. And when this is what our game plan is, when we don't make those changes in game, Adam Stenovich is the person who should be front and center for the blame for that. We are indeed airing of the grievances. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's move on to game planning on the other side. We talked about Quay Walker in that special teams play, but the way that the snaps were counted by Pro Football Focus, we had 75 defensive snaps. Quay Walker played all 75 of those wow. defensive snaps wow. in addition to seven special team snaps. And this sort of sounds like high school football where you've got this one just incredible player. You're going to play him every play on offense, play him every play on defense. But you know what? They'll take those players off for special teams. And I would argue that Quay Walker never should have been on on that special teams play, and they should have rotated him out throughout the game. I will also add that Darnell Savage, Rasul Douglas, and Ford, Jonathan Ford all also had 75 snaps. All four of those defensive players were not rotated at all. They played every single one of those snaps. And Again, 75 defensive plays. I'm sorry, the human body is not built for doing that at the highest level and performing at your best for 75 plays in a game. You've got to recognize the human nature of the game. You've got to rotate people out in order to give them the chance to perform at their best. And yes, Quay Walker had 19 tackles. He had an incredible game, but you've got to be able to give us a better chance of having all of our players do well, you've got to rotate a little bit more than that in order to win the game, especially when the other team is dominating time of possession, as Detroit did. That's crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, that's superhuman, for God's sake, right? I mean, And on, uh, yeah, and on three days rest as well. Right. I mean, yeah. okay, he's young, but let's not drive the poor kid in the ground. Holy crap. And this is one of those things, just because you can, doesn't mean you should, maybe. I mean, he's good. Okay, we've established that. But do you play him every single? Oh, my, that just seems. I think that's more of a function of Devondre Campbell being off the field than anything else. And you've got Walker in the middle there, and Isaiah McDuffie is in there and, and holds his own for a bit. But he's good. I mean, you can't take it away from him. Yeah. Uh, our young line, even, you know, Devontae Wyatt showed up uh, in this game. Uh, Carl Brooks showed up. In this game, you talk, Neil, about not having that defensive leader. I kind of wished this would have been Preston Smith's year. Being the veteran that he is, or even Devondre Campbell would have been nice as well. He's injured, but Smith is on the field at least. He's just been having such a quiet season. Rashawn Gary, uh, practically non-existent in this game. But yeah, you definitely need someone on that defense that's going to not on be a leader field. on the physically field. in their play like Walker yeah. is, but a leader vocally to say, Let's get it done. Let's, you know, let me lead by example kind of thing. Uh, we're using Reggie White as the the example there. I think Walker is maybe trying, but he, I just don't see the maturity level yet of being that guy. He, he's only a second-year player, too. Right. I mean, it's just you're, you're probably not going to get that. because yeah, that's, why, like I said, that's why I said I wish this would have been yeah. Preston Smith's year. Even Kenny Clark, I, I, I don't know why, you know, but Kenny, I think is just, he's a, you know, speak softly and carry a big stick kind of guy. I think he can, he talk a little louder. He certainly has earned the right. But even going back to Rashawn Gary, right? So Gary also had a really good game as far as pressures are concerned, but he's still on that 20 snap count. So basically Walker, Gary, and Jones all were limited to 20 snaps each. And I think that limits what you can do, but yes, that, that 
does not address the vocalness element that you're talking about, John. And absolutely, we need somebody who's going to be vocal, but also somebody who is going to be able to have the gravitas as a player that other players are going to listen to him. Got all these high round draft choices on defense. These are not players that are coming from small schools and things like that. So you'd think that at some point, somebody that's played for Alabama, that's played for Georgia, that's played for these championship teams even, is going to either know what that's like or to step up or or to do it themselves. I think that's really what's key here and and foreshadow a little bit. I'm going to talk about that actually Super for Super Bowl II. It was a different era. Things were different. But there's a very specific piece in there where the players say, okay, we're going to do this and sort of take control of our destiny, so to speak, of the game. And obviously, Super Bowl is a reasonably large game in which to do this. But even if, you know, on a Thursday night game, it's rather important. It's a national stage. It is for the division or the NFC North lead. So, yes, somebody needs to step up and, and we're just... We didn't see that. Clearly, we saw really the antithesis of that. To be fair, Rashawn Gary went to Michigan, so it's not like he has leadership in big games. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, you know, at this level, though, when you get to your your top tier players and and defense, even you have two types of, of players. You're either a super freak athlete that your whole life you've been the guy who just runs around, does whatever he wants, makes everything happen. Or you're there because you are really good at doing what you're told to do. And you've had good coaching along the way and coaches who know how to move those chess pieces about and say, you, this is your job. Mm -hmm. You, this is your job. And, and the reason your job is this and his job is that is because your jobs are going to come together. Don't think about it. Just do what you're being told. And I think we've got a lot of those types of players on this team. You know, the draft capital was used to get those types of players on this team. So now you have to say, Do we have a really smart person who is coaching them to do that? And we've already said, no, we don't think so. Neil, I'd rather, I would rather fire Joe Barry than try to revamp the entire ticket scheme of who gets to buy tickets to a Thursday night game because it makes more sense. Yeah. Joe Barry has proven his abilities over the year. And I'm sorry, but like there was a, there was a photo that was shared at Detroit had the ball on our two yard line and we had two down linemen. I'm sorry, there is never a situation where the other team having the ball at your two and two down linemen is the right situation. I, it's You see things like that, and it's just impossible to say that Joe Barry is the right guy for this job. His defenses technically are ranked better than they were when he was in Detroit. Uh, That's like not, not, not anymore. That's not, <laughs> much, right? That's not a positive here. That is clearly not. This So this was game four. Okay, so we've... We've got 13 more, boys and girls. But quite what frankly, Jeff, when you look at the record, they're two and two. All right. three of us expected them to be two and two at this point. Agreed. You know, we should A, be ecstatic that we're good prognosticators, <laughs> and B, be ecstatic because this is a team that won two games. You know, this is a young team that, you know, a lot of people said this is a six-win team. And if that's the case, hey, we're a third of the way there. So <laughs> for them to have two wins right now, to be two and two going – into Las Vegas, having a cakewalk of a month in in October, I think they're sitting where we wanted them to be sitting. And we're not in a situation like Bears fans where we're already <laughs> looking at, hey, we've got the number one and the number and two the pick in the draft in this upcoming year. It's a good thing. Fundamentally, we are excited about the potential of this team. 
We're frustrated when they're not hitting their potential. We're frustrating when coaching in particular doesn't seem to be leading them to achieve their potential, but we can see that potential there. And because we can see the potential, all of these other things are just driving us nuts. Right. And it's just too many little things. It's lots and yeah. lots of little things here and there. And then, like we said, we get the flashes of brilliance. We get the exciting plays. We get the aggressive plays that work out. All right. But it, despite all that, Jeff, we got two field goals. Yeah, we did. Yay. And we maybe don't have to think about going for two after every touchdown or, every, you know, that we score. I, I still think we should, but that's a separate question. But yeah. has our kicker missed anything yet this year in four games? No, John, he is not. However, I mean, in the preseason, was that your biggest concern coming into this season? Was what the kicker was going to do? I yes. don't think that's a fair question. <laughs> However, I want to segue to Neil. I've been waiting for this. So we were watching the game and just why in the hell do the asshats run the ball out when it's four, five, six yards deep in the end zone. Catch the ball. To be fair, it's better than last game where we ran it out from eight and nine yards back in the end zone. Catch the ball or let it go. Put your arms out like all the other. Just don't touch the ball. Let it go in. Get a touchback. Start at that magical yard line, the 25-yard line. Neil, where do we usually start? And how many yards did we lose because of those brilliant maneuvers? Do you want to be happy? Keyshawn Nixon had five returns for 116 yards. So 23.2 yards per kickoff return. First drive, we Keyshawn Nixon got the ball at the zero, returned it to the 20. That's a net minus five because of the asshats. Second drive, he took it two yards deep, got it to the 20 point. That's another negative four yards for the asshats. Third kickoff return, took it six yards deep, got it out to the 21. Oh, and on top of that, there was a holding on the kickoff returns. We got the ball at the 10-yard line, negative 15 as far as the asshats on the kickoff return. We took a touchback on the next one, but then hey! we and went and cheer. on the next drive, took it two yards back, got it all the way out to the 41. Oh, wait, but there's a holding. So we got the ball at the 14. That's a negative 11. And then we had one more return, went four yards deep. We took it out to the 17. So on those kickoff returns, we lost 43 yards of field position compared to if we just let the ball go through the end zone. But that wasn't the only mistake by the asshats in the game. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more, yeah. <laughs> on the second drive, we got the ball at the 20. We had three plays. We went negative six yards, and we had the ball in the 14th. And then the asshats had a false start on – Kingsley and Agbare, so we're punting from the nine-yard line. Detroit got the ball on the 45 after that punt. It was only a 55-yard short field for Detroit's second touchdown. So we've got minus five on the false start. Jaden Reed, who I love, but who I think should be playing just wide receiver and not punt return, even though he's electric, I think he's too valuable as a receiver to be playing punt return. He had the buff punt that cost us six yards. Quay Walker, we've already mentioned. Situational awareness as far as the special teams are concerned. Turned three points into seven. Five-yard penalty. But Mm. fundamentally, on all of those special teams plays, we had a net negative 59 yards, whether it was returning the ball too deep, whether it was penalties, whether it was muffed returns. We lost 59 yards of field position due to negative plays, on eight different plays by the asshats in that game. It's totally unexpected, too, with as much as we talked up uh, Rich Basaccia and and how he's been selecting players to play on special teams. 
yeah, is there a bit of aggressiveness in in letting Nixon giving him the green light and letting him come out? Yes. But if the other 10 players can't do anything with it, it's not going to help. It's not fortuitous. I think that if if this team could let the, the ball go in, like Jeff said, uh, get a few touchbacks and then surprise right. someone with right. a return. Hey, what? It's six yards, seven yards deep. Now he's bringing it out. Every time he's bringing it out, it's no longer a surprise. Well, it's one of those things, too, where it's like this is just almost Sisyphean, right? I mean, if they're kicking it to the goal line, or if they're kicking it short, then yeah, if he's running back 20, 25 yards, fantastic. Yay, asshats. But if they're consistently kicking it in the end zone and you're trying to make something happen after two times, after three times, after four times, like I said, when they finally let it go for a touchback, there was the Bronx cheer, right? I mean, it was evident, uh, uh, you know, the audio was just like the fans too. Everybody, everybody is watching this going, stay in the end zone don't you know let it go for a touchback or or whatever we'll see what happens in vegas because it's a dome so is that is that going to sort of you know change change things i don't know but you know what the punter he was good i mean he saw a lot of action what is a 50 whatever what 51 or almost 52 yards average okay that's good like you said uh mr carlson strong leg hasn't missed Yet this year, not gone wood. It's it's nice having the best punter in the league. You just don't want to know you have the best punter in the yes. league. Yes. And I'm just going to go back, circle back to the, all the problems we had on offense in the first half, right? We only had 21 yards of offense in that first half, but our starting field position after the Rudy Ford interception, Green Bay 20, Green Bay 21, Green Bay 10, Green Bay 25, woohoo. Green Bay 8, Green Bay 25, next few drives, 14, 20, 17. We lost more yards because of our special teams than we did because the offense had a bad game plan. And guess what? That does not excuse the bad offensive game plan. There's only one way to go, in theory, up. No, we can go anywhere. That's the, that's the thing. But I, I <laughs> again, I think our passion states that we are still optimistic about this team. Oh, yeah. Our frustration with this game is because of our optimism with the team. That's a good thing for Packers fans. I hope we retain this optimism the entire year. And at this point, there's a nice symmetry. I like the way when numbers kind of break down this way for the NFC North, we've got a three-win team, a two-win team, a one-win team, and and a team still showing up a goose egg. The Panthers and the Bears are still winless. They're going to match up in Week 10. I really thought the Bears had a chance there, but they just can't seem to handle success in Chicago. Neil, what happened with the Chicago Bears here? So I watched a fair amount of that toilet bowl number one of the Broncos against the Bears. And I think the most amazing thing is that Justin Fields briefly looked competent. At one point, his stat line was 23 of 24 with 285 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. That's pretty incredible. It was a nice looking stat line for a while. But there's only yeah. one. They, they, they were up. They, they were up 28, 28, seven. Unfortunately, the game doesn't end when you're ahead 28, seven. And yes, uh, field there, there's a, a, a series of bad plays. As far as the bears are concerned, it goes to 28, 28 in that bears Broncos game. The bears move the ball downfield and get to the Broncos 18 yard line, have a fourth and one play. And they decided we're going to do a running play but we're not going to do it in a competent way. We're going to try, well, let's sort of throw it outside or anything like that. They could have kicked a field goal. 
They would have been up 31-28 with little time left for the Broncos. They didn't. Sort of more globally, they could have done just a quarterback sneak, and I think that would have been a better chance than their outside play. But one of the themes of this weekend is there are a lot of coaches who think that the tush push is going to work for them. I'm sorry, you don't have Jalen Hurts, and you don't have the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line. Don't just assume the tush push is going to work for you. But fundamentally... Broncos go down and then they decide to go conservative. They kick the field, the long field goal. The Bears still have a chance, but here is Justin Fields' numbers in potential game-winning drives. 30 of 62, 62 attempts in potential game-winning drives for 80 yards, zero touchdowns, six interceptions, and three fumbles. Nine turnovers over 62 passing attempts and only 80 yards. The Bears aren't going to win with Justin Fields playing like that. Uh, they're never going to have a game-winning drive. That, that's futility having Justin Fields as your quarterback, no matter what the numbers looked like at any point in the game. The other part of it, you mentioned the toilet bowl. It was the Panthers, the Vikings. The Vikings now have one win on the season. Jeff, are Vikings fans insufferable now because of that? They they finally got one up there? Well, I, I tell you, early on, didn't look good for the Vikings. You know, they were moving the ball. Kirk Cousins then decided to throw a pass to the opposite team on the goal line. So it was a 99-yard pick six in which he was totally blown out on a block as well. So just added insult to injury. However, the Vikings defense, they looked passable against Carolina. And ultimately, they were playing, you know, it was two winless teams. Somebody had to win, so the Vikings came out on top. Yeah, but the Panthers did, made a number of very curious decisions down at the end of that game, and they demonstrated why they're a 0-4 and four team. I can't give the Vikings that much credit when the Panthers looked so terrible as well. So, so Neil, you actually admit to watching that game? I've got Sunday ticket. I will switch between games at will. Carolina, probably not uh, as far as we expected the Apparently needed more than just a quarterback to help them out. Or maybe they're, I don't know if they changed their strategy for the season with their young quarterback, but Carolina not uh, lighting things up as we expected. Now on the other side of the coin, the Philadelphia Eagles, the San Francisco 49ers, they are the only undefeated teams in the league. Those two teams will match up in week 13. We don't need to talk about those. We want to talk about Neil's favorite, most electric, exciting team in the league that he has picked and he is going to stand by even though they shit the bet against the Arizona Cardinals Neil how are the Cowboys doing they're not the most electric team in the league they're <laughs> the most electric team in the NFC but I said last week they had a hangover against Arizona fundamentally they had a, a major ACL injury to their defensive leader they came back 38 to 3 it's the biggest ever loss for a Bill Belichick team they look strong in offense they look strong in defense. Dak, 28 of 34. So any criticisms of Dak, I think uh, you can make whatever criticism you want, of course. But he played the game that he needed to do. They're rushing. They had 124 yards rushing. Dallas is a good team. And I think that it is not in anyone's uh, favor to ignore Dallas as a team this year from the NFC. Now, whether they can beat Buffalo or Miami or somebody else in the AFC is a separate question. But Dallas is a really good team. They showed that resiliency that you would expect a good team to show. But don't you think, Neil, that their defense is really carrying it and Dak Prescott is just more of a game manager? They had almost 400 yards of offense. I don't think you can say <laughs> just that. Mike McCarthy had a good game plan as well. And I think seeing Mike McCarthy actually evolve and consistently make good game plans, granted, is still the regular season. We'll see what he does in the playoffs. But he's still a good coach in the end. 
And a quick peek at the AFC. You mentioned both the Bills and the Dolphins. Dolphins with the big hangover. They were in it for a little bit against Buffalo. Buffalo gets the win. I, I'm sorry, really sorry, sorry, John. I disagree with that assessment. Buffalo took control of that game. That's they, the game that I watched most. Buffalo took control. It was a back and forth game early. Buffalo had a great game. I don't think we should dismiss Miami as a, oh, we scored 70 against the shitty Denver Broncos. It's that they tried and Buffalo was just better at home to be fair, but Buffalo is just a better team. And and for as good as Buffalo is playing, what's going on in Cincinnati? Why cannot Cincinnati put anything together? Yeah, that's a big mystery. I mean, there's a lot of people in Cincinnati and the surrounding area. I mean, they had really high expectations and they're just, they have not been able to put anything together. Once again, T Higgins, my fantasy wide receiver. Jeff, yeah. nobody cares nobody about your cares. fantasy team. You got to follow it up, shit. Come on. <laughs> you can't just let us hang on that. You got to follow up. I got nothing. You're right. All right. The other two AFC teams we've been keeping an eye on because it's the month of October, the Denver Broncos, Las Vegas Raiders. You know, we're, we're hoping for the Broncos to continue to underperform so that those ticket prices keep driving down. The Las Vegas Raiders, who I'm sure I will call the Oakland Raiders at least one time in the next couple of weeks. But the Raiders, one and three now going into this. So we've got week five coming up here. It's Vegas, baby. I'm kind of glad that we chose not to go to, to Las Vegas. Just looking at, again, ticket prices, plane prices, hotel prices, and, and two teams that are definitely still underperforming as it is. But it's Monday Night Football, and it's Las Vegas. I think that something's got to give coming up this week. It looks like we could still have a good game, even though it's not a marquee matchup for the week. It's been an interesting season for those Raiders. So they beat Denver in week one. They got crushed by Buffalo. They lost to Pittsburgh in a game that I watched in the airport, and I just didn't understand how that happened. But they were really frisky against the Clippers last week. It was a game where you start out and you watch the game at the beginning, and you think, wow, the Chargers are just going to be a dominant team. And they just kept fighting. And that fight that they showed is something that I'm a little bit worried about as far as the game is concerned. Now, having said that, they did have Aiden O'Connell rather than Jimmy Garoppolo, but Aiden O'Connell was sacked seven times. So they've definitely got weaknesses, but Josh Jacobs had 139 overall yards running and passing. Devontae was fabulous at the end of that game. Absolutely fabulous. And so they've got pieces that could be a real problem as far as this team, but globally looking at their team, we're really two evenly matched teams. Well, and you wonder if Devante might have, I'm sure, if he's healthy, I think that's going to be a big key. But, I mean, is he going to have just a little bit of a chip on his shoulder? Certainly something that he's going to really want to perform, you know, throwing the damn ball, right? I mean, he's going to want the ball every snap. Yeah, he's going to want the ball, but he's got, you know, somebody who's questionable throwing him the ball. And even if Jimmy G is back. So you look at statistics on the year. Jordan Love right now is down, now down to 21st in overall QBR, while Jimmy G is 20th. By traditional passer rating, Love is 19th, Jimmy G is 23rd. So even if Jimmy G is there, it's not like they've got an advantage at their quarterback. And yes, Devontae is amazing. He is eighth in the NFL in 397 yards receiving, despite the quarterback he has throwing him the ball. But still, they've got limitations. And looking globally at offensive numbers, defensive numbers, it doesn't really matter. We're evenly matched. 
Green Bay is 27th in offensive yards. The Raiders are 26th. Defensively, the Packers are 20th in yards. The Raiders are 18th. You look through passing, running, whatever, the numbers are about the same. The good news is that the offensive running numbers for the Raiders are somehow even worse than the Packers numbers are. I don't know how that's possible. They're only averaging 65 yards a game running. The only place where there's a difference really is in points. We are significantly better than them as far as offensive and defensive points, but I think once again, these are evenly matched teams. These are teams that will have a schizophrenic nature. Anything could happen under those bright lights. I could see them blowing us out. I could see us blowing them out. I could see a close game. We'll see. This is the nature of a young team. What I don't see is the Packers trading for Devonte Adams. And I just don't want to spend the next two weeks or longer hearing any of that. It's just not going to happen. So let's let Devonte play for the Raiders, let's let the Packers grow with their young receivers. We're going to leave it at that. Devontae Adams is not coming to Green Bay. But here's the thing that, about this Monday night game. When they put the schedule together and ESPN gets to cherry pick, you know, what game they want for the, the Monday night matchup, you know that they had to look at this and say, hey, remember that Raiders-Packers game when Brett Favre threw <laughs> all those touchdown passes after his father died? Do you guys remember how long ago that was? It was 2003 or 2004. Yeah, your impromptu trivia question for the night. That game is 20 years old already, December of 2003. I don't know that we'll see that kind of magic coming up in Las Vegas, but anything can happen, and it will be the Packers and the Raiders on Monday night. But that Monday night game 20 years ago is probably not the biggest Packers-Raiders matchup of all time. That honor, I think, goes to Super Bowl II. And to tell us a little bit about it, Jeff, Bring it home with a bedtime story. Super Bowl II, also known as the AFL versus the NFL World Championship Game, was played January 14th, 1968 at the Orange Bowl in Miami, Florida. From the beginning, the Packers were heavy favorites as they again carried the weight of NFL superiority over the AFL. Remember, this is before the merger. So the game featured two NFL icons, Packers head coach Vince Lombardi, and the Raiders managing general partner, Al Davis. The starting QB for the Raiders was a guy by the name of Daryl LaMonica, who was the MVP of the AFL in his first season with Oakland. He threw for 3,228 yards and 30 touchdowns. Interestingly, LaMonica, later nicknamed the Mad Bomber, was picked in the 12th round of the 1963 draft out of Notre Dame, by Green Bay. However, instead of signing with the Packers, he signed with Buffalo, where he was a backup for four years, and he was traded to Oakland before the 1967 season. Perhaps the biggest motivation for the Packers to win that game, Super Bowl II as we now know it, was the speculation that it would be Lombardi's last game coaching the Green Bay Packers. In interviews before the game, Lombardi was constantly asked by the press if he was returning. Publicly, he dodged the question but his players sense that it would indeed be his last game coaching Green Bay. So at halftime, with the Packers leading 16-7, to a group of Packer veterans met and decided to play the last half of the game for the old man, Vince Lombardi. The feeling was that they loved their coach and did not want to let him down. So Green Bay had played the first half in a methodical fashion and said they were leading, but the Packers seemed to play with more energy and a sense of urgency in that second half. Overall, Green Bay had better offensive statistics, 
But one major, one of the major factors in the game was that the Packers did not turn the ball over while the Raiders lost two fumbles and LaMonica threw a fourth quarter pick six, which was the dagger. The Packers won the game 33 to 14 and Lombardi was carried off the field on the shoulders of Jerry Kramer and Forrest Gregg, captured in a timeless, iconic photo. They had fulfilled their pledge to win Super Bowl II for the old man. A couple notes on that game is um, that the players from the winning team received a payment in the amount of $15,000. Wow. A sum greater than most players made for the whole year when Lombardi first arrived in Green Bay. So the game was evolving. The other interesting thing about that game, it featured 17 future Hall of Famers. <laughs> 10 from Green Bay, seven from Oakland, including a scout hired by the Raiders in 1963 named Ron Wolf. You know, uh, for the record, the old man in that game, he was only 55 years old at that time. Thanks, John. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) So two big Packer victories over the Raiders. Super Bowl II, the Favre game 20 years ago. Let's hope that that carries over. We get a Packer victory in Las Vegas this week on Monday Night Football. With that, gentlemen, your thoughts as we wrap things up. Jeff? As the Super Bowl II narrative told, and frankly, as as, uh, what happened during the Favre game, the players were playing for something sort of bigger for them, bigger than themselves. They were playing for the old man. They were playing for Favre because his father had passed. Let's hope that the players find something. They dig down, whether it's for each other, for, for Lafleur, I don't know, just to pull together as one and, and play a cohesive four-quarter quality game and, and hopefully put together a win, again, on another national stage. Hopefully this national stage isn't too big for them this time. Well, at least they've got the experience in that national stage. But what I am hoping for is that our offensive game planning works out a little bit better than it has so far this year. And this is partly because our running backs on the year are 72 rushes for 217 yards, 3.0 yard per attempt average. Jordan Love and Keyshawn Nixon have five of our longest runs on the year. But when we're able to do what we want to do, things are going to go well. So Jordan Love in that game against Detroit, when he was kept clean, was 17 of 22 for 198 yards. On the other hand, he was pressured on 20 throws, had 48 passing yards, five sacks, and an interception. We need to get back to basics. We need to be able to move the ball on first down and second down so we don't have difficult third downs. And the importance of doing well on first down and second down is emphasized by the third down stats. So on third downs, when it's a third and one, the Packers are converting at 85%. That's six in the NFL. On third and two to six, The Packers are converting at 60%. That's fifth in the NFL. On third and seven to 10, they're converting at 39%, still at eighth in the NFL. Third and 11 plus, they're at 7%, but that's about what you expect on those long third downs. The problem is that Green Bay's average third down has been 8.2 yards. That's 30th in the NFL. And looking at our game against Detroit, we had a third 19, didn't convert. Third and 16, didn't convert. Third and three didn't convert. Third and seven didn't convert. Third and fourth, thankfully, Detroit had a penalty. Third and 21 didn't convert. Third and one, we converted that one. Third and 15, third and 21, third and one, we also converted that one. And at third and seven, we had three converted third downs. 
The only ones we did as far as the offensive movement was concerned were the third and ones. We've got to get third and short. We've got to have better plays on first and second downs. I'm looking forward to better play calling that puts us in better positions where Jordan Love can perform at his best, where the offense can perform at his best. That's a mouthful, Neil. All I really like saying is Vegas, baby. And with that said, you know, a lot of people like to spend a lot of money in Vegas. And Jeff, I think if we had gone, I wouldn't have spent my money in the casinos. I probably would have been trying to get into the sphere because you two opened up their residency. The sphere is now open. Opening night, they played Octung, baby. Wow. Beginning to end. I yeah, know. You're excited. Feel these nipples. All right. If you're watching us on YouTube, then please hit subscribe and leave a comment. Find the GBC podcast at Green Bay Chat. That's all one word, Green Bay Chat. We are on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, and Spotify. And on Facebook at the GBC podcast, Green Bay Chat. And may you fully appreciate the magnitude of your impending good fortune. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Good night.